1689 Saturday, the day you've been waiting for. Let's go. Nick Cleveley, we're talking about The Last Judgment. We're talking That's about right. eschatology. Talk about so I'm just looking for chapter 32, paragraph one. Oh, sounds... Please turn in your 1689s to chapter 32, paragraph one. Please open, brothers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we wanted, we wanted to do a little bit of eschatology and maybe uh, explain some big words and uh-huh. uh, lean towards amillennialism and show how the confession really... Um, points to a more more than any other position yeah so let me me read paragraph one and we can just uh discuss it yeah so quote god has appointed a day wherein he will judge the world in righteousness by jesus christ to whom all power and judgment is given of the father in which day not only the apostate angels shall be judged But likewise, all persons that have lived upon the earth shall appear before the tribunal of Christ to give an account of their thoughts, words, and deeds, and to receive according to what they have done in the body, whether good or evil. Hmm. So one judgment, not two judgment seats, one judgment. Hmm. So that's that's paragraph one. And uh, I mean, the dispensational view has various judgments. There's the great white throne judgment. There's the judgment seat of Christ. There's the final judgment. There's you know any time there's a slight variation in description, it automatically becomes a separate, different event. Hmm. Um, and that's that's the trouble with dispensationalism. But this paragraph one indicates that there's only a single universal judgment. Yeah. What do you think? You know how we'd be judged by works. Okay, judgment according to works. Yeah. So. I mean, that's obviously a very clear teaching in Scripture Mm. that the Lord at the end of our lives will open the book of our lives and will be judged according to our works. Mm. Um, Now, the reason I ask on that is just in light of Piper's big thing, you know, and his new sort of like that's always been his thing where he's wanted to retain that as a kind of, um, you know, lesser public vindication of justification and more more like a, the means through which we are shown to be justified is actually our works. Um, you know, so, yeah, what do you think? Yeah. I, I, I'm going to take a third view. Mm-hmm. Totally. <laughs> so, justification according to works is not our vindication, but it's God's vindication. Mm-hmm. So the good works by which we are sanctified, not justified, mm-hmm. prove that God has done a redeeming work where he has dealt with the sin of his children, he has brought them in a new new relationship to himself. He has regenerated them, mm-hmm. and they are producing works to the glory of his name. Mm-hmm. And so our works are put on display to, to show that he does not simply justify a person, leave them in their sin, and they can live any way they want. Yeah, It, it shows that there's been a true saving work that's been done to the glory of God, and it vindicates the holiness of God. Yeah. yeah. So that's the way I like to play it. I and- mean, I know others have different emphases, but for me— the judge, you know, the judgment day is God's day, not our day. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. I love the way you. Um, it was a Fesco that article that you sent me a while back. Um, oh, oh, that do you was remember? That? I don't actually... remember what it did now. Oh, but it was this. I remember now. Yeah. So it was looking at the uh, 
basically the order of events on the last day. Which mm. comes first, the resurrection or the judgment? Uh, the, the resurrection. How can you be resurrected? Are you resurrected with a glorified body, yes or no? Uh, yes. So if you are resurrected with a glorified body, isn't your judgment a foregone conclusion? Uh, yes, you yes. are. Yeah, totally. You, that was it. It's already yeah. being decided. So you, you glorified and you actually already know what the verdict's going to be. Right. Now, There's no surprises on Judgment Day. Totally. And the guys uh, who are not justified, what happens to them when they're resurrected? So they're, they're, we're not told. We're told they are resurrected. Mm-hmm. Um, they have not participated in the power of Christ's resurrection. They do not participate in the likeness of his glorified humanity. So they must be glorified to some sort of state which they're alive. confirms them in what they are. Right, right. That was the thing he brought out in that article and that, you know, everyone presupposes that everyone gets resurrected in the same way and then the judgment will follow. He's like, wait a minute, the resurrection itself and the glory that we receive in our new bodies is the actual, that is the judgment. It is the glory itself. It's the reward. It's the everything. Yeah, that's it. It's amazing. It's an amazing concept. I must actually find that article and link to um, this uh, so show. I found it on the OPC website, Ordained Servant. Oh, yeah, totally. That was it. So if you yeah. Google Fesco OPC resurrection is the judgment, I'm pretty sure you'll find it. Um, yeah. It was outstanding. Oh, it yeah. was truly brilliant. Yeah. And, you know, it just enlightens all the it, back it and forth. Because the whole question is, you know, the, the, the question in certain reform circles is, are our works going to somehow vindicate us? Will our works somehow uh, determine our destiny? Will our works somehow contribute or mm. affirm the final sentence that God is going to pass over us? Mm. And he just undercuts the whole issue. He cuts the Gordian knot and he says, look, before any judgment happens, you're already resurrected in your glorified body. It's already a foregone conclusion. Yeah. Um, so you can't, you can't put too much on the judgment according to works. And, and even the way he showed the essential connection to, you know, the, the resurrection, we believe and are justified and are regenerated, let me put it that way, and, and that final resurrection, um, you, you see the, the, the essential connection to those things, which as I, I was reading what he was saying there, and I was going like, oh, of course, I've been so stupid, you know? Like the whole point of justification is that that is done. You know, that is, and as soon as you play with that, you, you actually diminish, you, you must diminish assurance. And yeah. you play around with the gospel and the good news. And, and that's kind of just the simple reality he's arguing for there and, um, and showing why. And, and again, in eschatological terms as well. So very, very so, helpful. Uh, here's, here's the article. It's called Paul on Justification and the Final Judgment. That's it. Paul on Justification and the Final Judgment. Yeah. Great article. Fesco. Here's the the opening lines. In recent years, there has been much controversy surrounding the exact relationship between justification by faith alone and the final judgment. judgment. Mm -hmm. Most who attempt to solve this puzzle do so through a well-worn path. Paul's understanding of the law, while it is certainly important to establish Paul's understanding of the law, it seems that few take into account the nature of the final judgment itself. There appears to be an unchecked assumption regarding the final judgment, namely that the parousia, the resurrection, and final judgment are separate events. Given this presupposition, it is only natural that interpreters would examine the final judgment in isolation from the other events of the last day. Mm. So he's just trying to bring all the events to be together and to be mutually informing. So the resurrection, which precedes the final judgment, which uh, presupposes glorification, 
has to inform whatever view of the final judgment you have. Mm, totally. Yeah. So there we go. Go check that out. And then in terms of that connectedness in that last moment, that or the the final event, so to speak. I mean, that's that's what makes what we're saying leads the confession to kind of lean strongly towards <laughs> amillennialism as well. Because if you had to kind of diagram it out, it's just one big thing at the end. <clears throat> versus your, as you were saying earlier, your, your many different um, milestones, uh, you know, leading towards the, the final, final end. Um, yeah. So the confession knows nothing of that. And, and at the end of the day, that, that I suppose, I mean, would post-millennialism be able to fit in there? I suppose one kind of post-millennial eschatology would work, you know, how they have the two kinds. Uh, the extreme version is the one yeah, that says... Yeah, post-millennialism doesn't have as many judgments as dispensationalism does. No, and some of them just ha- are almost exactly the same. I mean, some some would simply see, you know, they'd look at the same, like, from the first to the second coming of Christ as the millennium. The only difference is that it's positive, it's 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 optimistic, it's, you know, we're going to have triumph before Jesus comes, and uh, hence the transformational deal. But then, you, yeah, you've got the, the kind of more rabid form, which is, okay, so, you know, Christ comes, or, or we get into this golden age, and then there's a, a millennium yeah. money starts then. And Well, I mean, they might have what, what, you know, a sort of anticipatory judgment, where we sit on thrones ruling the world in some governmental structure. Yeah, yeah in some, some in anticipation yeah. of Christ's perfect tribunal coming up. Right. Um, so it's closer. We could, I mean, you could see how a lot of the Puritans could have held that. And still held to this confession, but the thing that 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 fits most squarely with it, without a doubt, is amillennialism. Not like we're making that the, the criterion for deciding, you no. know, whether that's biblical or not. But it's just it's it's worth yeah, noting. What, I, I remember what we're saying is they had a simple view, and amillennialism is the simplest. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, Burkhoff yeah. Po- pointed that out in his uh, systematic. He was just like, you know, this is probably on that basis, you know, uh, amillennialism yeah. probably has the most sort of you know, resonance throughout all creedalism in, in church history. And um, and that's a that's a fair point. Yeah, I just want to read paragraph two. You know, we said earlier that Judgment Day is God's day. Yeah. Listen to how the confession puts it. The end of God's appointing this day, the purpose for, for God's appointing this day, is for the manifestation of the glory of His mercy in the eternal salvation of the elect mm-hmm. and of His justice in the eternal damnation of the reprobate who are wicked and disobedient. Mm-hmm. So that's it. The that's end it. of the pointing of the day is his glory, the manifestation of the glory of his mercy mm-hmm. and the manifestation of the glory of his justice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, yeah. When, I, when I get to Judgment Day, you know, what's, what's the one attribute that, that we're going to be praising God for? Here's a suggestion. Patience. You know, when we see God as he is, mm-hmm. and when we see sin for all that it mm-hmm. deserves, and we are shouting hallelujah as God throws people into judgment because we agree with what's going on. We don't delight in the torment, but we agree with the vindication of God that this is sin getting its, its, its due. We will look over history and say, Lord, how could you take, how could you be so patient with us? Mm. We delight in what's going on right now. We see that it is right. How could you have, have, have been so patient for so long with so many sinners all of the time, every second, millions of people constantly rebelling against God, and he does not judge? Yeah, totally. Yeah. And on that day, we're just going to be falling on our faces praising him. Yeah, that's it right there. Man, I don't want to carry on after that. That was a good roundup. Oh, yes, people are going to church tomorrow. They need that in their <laughs> minds. Amen. Yeah. Go to church. 
with that in your mind right now? I mean, like the, the bottom line is we're talking about grace. We're talking about mercy. Uh, we got to pray for mercy more. We got to realize God has patience, and uh, yeah, and all of that only yeah. comes into its true perspective when you when you see <coughs> sin for what it is, and you see God's grace or, or, or the cross for what it is, and so. Go to church. That's what that's what gets done at church. God promises to to meet you, and to uh, hopefully you go into a church that preaches the gospel, but to, to to hold the cross before you and to invite you into that story. So, uh, bless you guys. Have a great weekend and or a great Sunday at least, and uh, we'll see you in the new week. Thanks, Nick. Cheers, man. <laughs>